0: Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. All right, good morning, everyone. So glad that you're here this morning. I want to say hello to all of you watching up in Port Perry, anyone online. We also would just take a moment to welcome all of you who are guests this morning. We're so glad that you're here uh, today. Whether you are a brand-new Christian, a long-term follower of Jesus, a seeker, or a skeptic, uh, we're entering into week five in this conversation called The Sent Ones out of the book of 1 Corinthians. And actually today we're in the middle of a really serious internal dialogue in a family, and we all get to hear that and understand that and see how it impacts our life. Like I shared, we're still in the ancient city of Corinth. And as I've been sharing week after week, the city and its values need to be understood to understand what Paul was writing to this ancient church. Now, this city, like I've shared week in and week out, was not full of those born into power. There was no old money. There was no aristocracy. The city was known for the up-and-comers, the new money, lots of freed slaves, entrepreneurs, and all sorts of different ethnicities were settling in this city, and their goal was to make a life for themselves. And so, if you read the ancient historians' power and status and position were never actually given to you by inheritance. It all came through your own hard work. The city was about wisdom and knowledge and intellect and education and being self-made. You be, you became someone in this city through your own intelligence. You became someone through education. You you became someone through thoughtfulness. You became someone through hard work. You If you were physically strong, that was to your advantage. If you were beautiful, especially in Corinth, that was to your advantage. If you could use someone sexually, that was to your advantage, wise, educated, lots of followers, amazing communication skills. You move from a nobody to a somebody by your own achievement. And why we as a church have really enjoyed going through this book is because the parallels between Corinth and Toronto are striking. Self-sufficiency, self-congratulating, self-reliant, self-promotion, multicultural, pluralistic, self-built. Now, Paul is writing to a group of Christians. In the last 20 years, they've all become Christians from different backgrounds. And he's concerned because the church actually looks just like the city. Though there are good parts of the city, there are also some dangerous things. Paul, knowing this danger and how subtle and how culture can live like a virus in a host for a long time and not appear, and don't even know how bad it is. Now, Paul is now starting to say the culture has too much influence on you. And here's how this started coming out. The church started evaluating their leaders and pastors based on the culture, not on the scriptures and not on God. In other words, if you were not good at self-promotion, in other words, if you didn't have 25,000 Twitter followers and 1.1 million Instagram followers, you were not a good pastor. If you were not self-built, if you were not an amazing speaker, if you were not amazing at intellect, then you were not a good and godly leader. And so there's these infighting that is taking place in this church because the leader isn't up to the standard of the culture. Also, they began to struggle with the good news of Jesus. They began to misapply and misunderstand the the whole idea of the gospel. Why? Because this culture was about being self-made and self-sufficient. But the gospel says this, you become right with God, not by what you do, but actually what Jesus does for you. So Christians start saying, well, you must need to do something or earn something or make something, and then God will love you. And Paul says, no, you know, that's not the good news. By the way, this has always been a struggle for the church. I don't know if you know this, today is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Did you know that? Literally 500 years ago today, Martin Luther took that nail and hammer and nailed those theses on the wall and said, you are not saved by what you do. You're saved by Jesus alone, grace alone, faith alone. And Paul is wrestling with this only 20 years into the movement. Paul says, look, and we're in 1 Corinthians 3, if you've got a Bible this morning, virtual or physical, you can turn there. He says in 1 Corinthians 3, 18, don't deceive yourself. If any of you think that you're wise by the standards of this age or by the core values of Corinth, you should become a fool, an idiot, so you can actually become wise. Now, I want you to sit on that phrase, don't deceive yourself. It's not Satan who's deceiving you, and it's not your family that's deceiving you, and it's not your friends, and now it's not even the city, it's you. You're conning you, you're fooling you, you're misinforming yourself. Why are you stringing yourself along? The wisdom of this age and the standards of this age are all on their way out. When Jesus comes back, they're all going to burn. This is actually what Paul has said time and time again. And if you've been with us for this journey, you know this. But if you haven't, let me read this verse to you all the way back in First Corinthians one twenty, Where is the wise person, God asks? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? Here's what God says to the human race. Bring it. Bring your best to me. You who are Jewish, who are the best theologians and scribes and thinkers of your day, you that have God's work, and you know God's name, unlike non-Jews, and you have covenant, and you are elected, and you have holy history with me, and you actually know more about God than anyone else. The problem is, even though you have the Old Testament, you have missed the God you claim to know because you've rejected his Messiah. And all you non-Jews, You're no different. Bring your best thinkers out, God says. Bring out the historians and the scientists and the philosophers and the profs. You you bring out all your best. You also have missed your creator. You've missed his love and how you're made in his image and his work for you. See, it doesn't matter where you come from. Whether you're deeply religious or you're deeply secular or you're agnostic or atheist or spiritual or philosophical, here's what the Bible says. God has confronted all of humanity and made their wisdom foolish because he's done something that appears foolish to the world but is not. Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead and offers a way home, and that would have never been invented by a religious person or a non-religious person, but that is the wisdom of God. He says in verse twenty-one: For since the wisdom of God, through the, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its own wisdom, its own attempts, has not known Him. With all our thinking and all our pondering and all our religious actions and all our scientific and historical discoveries, though good, we have not known God, found God, met God, and encountered God personally, covenantally, closely, relationally. Remember, I said this a few weeks ago. Paul was writing to another church in the epicenter of power, Rome. And he said these words about the human race. Remember, Paul is an Orthodox rabbi Jew who has converted to Jesus as Messiah. And he said these words in Romans 3, 9. What shall we conclude then? Are we any better? Uh, no, we've already made the charge Jews and non-Jews are all alike under sin. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's actually no one who is seeking God In other words, no one has right understanding, right relationship, no one understands him, no one can bring it all together, no one can figure out the puzzle, no one can see the whole picture, no one through deep religious uh, fulfillment or human wisdom can encounter God. No one can see the depths of God, his attributes, his work, his love. And the truth is we don't honestly seek God. Oh, chapters in Barnes and Noble might be full of self-help sessions and all sorts of spirituality sections, but when you really listen to it at the end of the day, very few, if none, come to God and say, you tell me who you are, and I will have no part of the conversation. We say, no, I want to make God who he is or what he should be, and if God doesn't suit my standard, then I won't believe he exists, or I'll say he's something else, or we'll invent a religion, or we'll bypass him. Again, Paul says, listen, None of this is new. I've talked to you about this. He says, let me quote the Old Testament again. Let me actually quote one of Job's friends. And let me also quote one of the Psalms. He says in verse 19 of chapter 3, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise are futile. In other words, faith, encounter, relationship with God is gift. Gift. And Paul is saying to this local church, your obsession with earning and proving and promoting and boasting, all that's going to pass away. You weren't saved by you. You were saved by someone else. And not only that, the culture has so infected you that you actually can't even understand what godly leadership is like anymore. So he says this in verse 21, I beg you, no more boasting about human leaders. Can we just resolve this and be done with this? Now, maybe you're joining us for the first time. You're like, John, what's going on? Well, you're walking into a really bad Thanksgiving that went sideways in a family, okay? This is an all-out family fight. And Paul is trying to resolve the family fight in the church. He says this, and a lot of you know this, back in 1 Corinthians 1.11, my brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me there's quarrels among you, and this is what I mean. One group saying, well, I follow Paul. And another group is saying, "Well, I follow another Christian leader named Apollos." And another is saying, "I follow Peter." And still another is saying, "I just follow Jesus." And he wrote, "Is Jesus divided? Was was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul?" Like I've said week in and week out, Paul, Apollos, Peter, Jesus—they all have the same message. All part of the same movement. But this culture was so obsessed about personality and style and views that they elevated one leader over the other. Notice three of the four groups don't like Paul. They actually hate Paul. His authority and leadership were under attack. And the real kicker, like I shared a few weeks ago, is this. The last group think they don't need any leaders. Well, I just need Jesus. It's me and Jesus. And I don't need church and I don't need spirituality and I don't need formal religion. I'm just going to follow Jesus and everything's going to be okay. So get out of my way, Paul, and stop. Talking to me. Like I shared last week, the great danger in the church is not new. For 2,000 years, the church has always had this struggle of obsessing and loving or hating leaders too much. Remember what I shared last week? I like Paul. No, no, I like Peter. No, like I like Apollos. No, like I like I like Calvin. I like Augustine. I like Luther. I like Wesley. I like Charles Stanley. Remember I said with his big Bible? If you know what I'm talking about. No, no, I like his son Andy Stanley because of his pleated pants. No, no, I I like Brian Houston. Right? Like, no, he's amazing. No, I like John MacArthur because he tells me where to go. No, I like Louis Giglio because he's so relevant. No, I like Bill Johnson because of all the miracles. No, I like Tim Keller because he's such a thinker. No, I like Judas Smith, just because, wow, Uh, Carl Lentz, Erwin McManus, Kevin. See, the list goes on. Look, Paul keeps saying this leaders are important. But leaders are not the be-all or an end-all. I like Dave, I don't like John, I like Angela, I'm not sure about Jervis. What about Chris, what about Jolt? No, look, style, preaching, educational background, patronage. I like their view, I like what they have, I like their spiritual gift mix, I like their emphasis on secondary issues. Paul keeps saying, you keep dividing the church because your obsession is based on a leader and you've forgotten who the real leader is. Paul, for a fourth time, is not saying that they're not doing a good job. Paul is not saying that they don't have authority to leave. Paul is not even saying they're not gifted by the Holy Spirit. Paul is just saying, would you please stop putting leaders on pedestals? And more than that, would you please stop this drama where you're trying to turn one leader against another because actually you think that they suit your view better? Remember what he said last week, 1 Corinthians 3.6, I planted the seed, I planted the church, Apollos has watered it, God makes things grow. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. No, no matter how amazing the leader is or group of leaders is in a church or boring or somewhere in between, they are never to function as the foundation of a church, let alone your faith or your hope. Only Jesus Christ is the foundation of this church and every church and should be the only foundation for your own walk with Jesus if you have one. And your following, Paul says, of these leaders is not only childish and infantile. Actually, your vision is way too small. It's myopic. He says these words that are so striking if you actually listen to them. He says in 1 Corinthians 3.22, all things are yours, whether Paul, Apollos, Peter, the world, life, death, the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. No more liking one leader over another. No more fighting in the church. All these non-Christians and seekers want to see if what we've got is real and you keep biting each other. They've got enough problems in their own traumatic family. Don't make this one traumatic too. No more infighting. And actually, he says this, you don't even belong to those leaders. You are, they're your servants. Actually, your inheritance is so much wider and you're being so narrow rallying around a leader or a church or a denomination. We're all in Christ. And Jesus is loved and submitted to the Father and the Father, well, he owns everything. Basically, here's what Paul's saying. I'm a gift to you. Apollos is a gift to you. Peter's a gift to you. Life is a gift to you. And by the way, death... You don't need to fear it anymore. You don't need to fear death or the future because Jesus, through his death and resurrection, has shown us what's on the other side. We know what's going to happen. And actually, we can walk, unlike the rest of the world, into death and the future without fear. In other words, fear and control doesn't need to motivate you, drive you, or own you anymore. But you keep letting these things drive you, especially around leaders. Just stop it. You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. Now, most of us this morning when we hear that are already tuning out. Please don't. This is one of the most important verses in this whole book. This is where we build our identity out of. This is where our foundation and hope is. Actually, here's something. Let me make the connection. This is why we get to sleep as Christians differently than other people. Here's our rest. See, he says that we're in Christ and he's the one that matters and lasts in the end. Here's the reality everyone needs to hear. All pastors are just interim pastors. I'm just here for a season, and then I'm out. No pastor owns a person. No pastor owns a church. They never will, and if they act like it, they're still going to get in trouble for it. Anyone want to say amen to that? Because it's true. All move of God's just for a season, but here's the beautiful thing of the Christian faith, but we belong to Jesus we're loved by Jesus. We're his loved children. We are his possession. We are his treasure. He purchased us with his life, ministry, death, and resurrection, and he's going to make us blameless on judgment day. Apollos, he's going to go. Peter, he's going to leave. John Thompson, he's going to go. But let me tell you who never leaves you and never abandons you. His name is Jesus, and that's why he's the foundation of your faith, and no leader, or no church, or no denomination. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Because if you get obsessed about a leader and a leader falls, does your faith fall? No. Jesus is faithful even when people are faithless. Now, Paul is trying to address something so very important. He's addressed the misunderstanding of the gospel. You got to earn it to be loved. He says, garbage. It's going to pass. He says, don't put leaders up on pedestals. And at the same time, you still got to respect them. But now Paul goes, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know exactly what's going to happen next. Now, I know what you're going to think. If actually Jesus is the foundation, then why do I need a leader? Actually, we don't need leaders or elders or pastors. We don't even need to follow humans. We'll just follow Jesus. Now, Paul has already said no to pedestals, but he said yes to leadership. Now, watch this. Paul is writing a church where two-thirds of the church in a congregational meeting would vote him out without blinking. They can't stand him. They've rejected his teaching, his authority, and his leadership. Here's what you actually need to know about this church. They're saying to Paul, who planted this church, you have no right to speak to us. You have no right to lead us. You have no right to guide us. You have no right to instruct us. You're not over us. We reject you. And Paul says, hold on. He said, if we're going to deal with this unity thing at its heart, let's have the whole conversation. Let's go into the tunnel of chaos and see if we can come out the other side. He says, look, as Christians, we've got something very unique. Yeah, we're all priests, meaning we all have access to God directly. We don't need to go through someone else to talk to God, to worship God, give to God, or serve God. Yes, and also here's the amazing thing about our faith. We are all equal before the cross. Even leaders are just fellow followers of Jesus. The power of the gospel, if you're a seeker here today, a new person, listen to this. The the unbelievable power of the Christian faith, the scandal of the good news of Jesus, isn't just that you don't have to earn your way into heaven. It's actually that there's such a transformational reality because it says that anyone can come back to God through Christ. And no matter who we are and where we come from, there's an equality. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew or non-Jew, slave-free, male or female. All are one in Christ Jesus. That is saying these don't necessarily disappear, these distinctions, but we all can have access to God the exact same way. But Paul says, though that's all true, and there's equality, and we all have access to God, actually God in his plan has devised roles so his church functions well in his absence. And some are called to lead. It's like a sports team. You all share one brand, you have one sponsor, you have one goal and one desire to win. But still at the end of the day, there are different roles the team has to play. But Paul is saying to this church 2,000 years ago, you're acting like there's no team and by the way, it's so bad you're standing there like a self-appointed judge arbitrating what God wants and what God should do and who should lead and who should not. And everyone has their own opinion. Believe it or not, this is like Christian anarchy, if that could even exist. That's what's happening here. So here's what happens next. And by the way, this is when it's going to get real interesting for the next 20 minutes in this room. So I hope you're ready. Everyone buckled up? Ready? Okay. 1 Corinthians four one. This then is how you need to or you ought to regard Us. Paul, he's talking about Paul and leaders. As servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the mysteries that God has revealed. Now that phrase ought to regard is incredibly important and profoundly anti-Trontonian. Ought to regard means you must do this. It's a mental act of submission in the Greek. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. I know that we're all called by God the Father together. I know that we're all ministers. That is, we all have authority to serve the poor, love, etc. But I understand, and I know, and I believe, and I live under the truth. And by the way, you need to do this too, that God himself has ordained in heaven some to lead us, and you have to accept that. Now, how Trontonian does that feel to you? <laughs> so in other words, submission... Is a good thing. Now, do you see that word servant? Now, that word servant's really critical. We'll never catch this in the English usually, but Paul uses a different word here than he's using before. Before, he's been saying all Christians are slaves to Jesus, they love Jesus, but now he doesn't just say we're a slave to Jesus. Paul says we as leaders are household slaves. The word is steward. Now, John, not the name, the idea. You're saying, okay, well, John, what in the world does that mean? well, it matters so very much and it doesn't exist in our culture at all. A steward in Corinthian culture, in Roman culture, was the highest ranking slave of a wealthy landowner and they had full delegated authority to run the house in the master's absence. In other words, the slave who owns nothing, his word in that moment is equal to the master's word. And actually they're entrusted with the division of labor, managing the household, well, the master was gone. So in other words, Paul is saying, I own absolutely nothing, but myself and others actually have Jesus' backing to run the church and speak to the church. In other words, here's what Paul's saying. In heaven, Jesus said, hmm, who do I want to plant and run the church in Corinth? Hmm, Paul. And he comes along and says, just so you know, I and others, like Apollos, have delegated authority by Jesus to lead you as a church, and not just lead you, uh, to teach you. You saw this. How many of you are Downton Abbey addicts? Raise your hand, right? You saw this in Downton Abbey. Who had authority over the house, though he didn't own the house? Who was the chief butler? It's the same mentality, right? And so here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, "Look, we all are the object of Jesus' trust and love, but some of us have been given authority leave, and not only that, we have been given first the secrets of God." Is this saying that Paul is so cool and in touch with super? No, no. He understood the gospel first. Remember, we read this in 1 Corinthians 2.7, that the secret things of God have now been revealed. What are those secret things? They are simply that Jesus, who is God, lived a life we could not live, died a death for us, was physically risen from the dead, and if you embrace him, you will be saved. Now, can you imagine a church that can't stand Paul? Everyone's fighting each other. We know they're suing each other in open courts. People are sleeping with each other. It's a mess. Can you imagine the first time this was read in church? How do you think that was going? Here's, I guarantee you what the body language of people was. Hands are crossed, defensive, blind, jaded, skeptical. I'm sure people started getting up and leaving while it was being read. And here's what people were probably thinking. So what, Paul? So you get to do anything you want, and we can't? Do not touch the Lord's anointed, Paul. No accountability. You just, like, lead us, and you're some dictator. And Paul says, oh, hold on. Who said that's ever a Christian standard of leadership? He said, look, I'll give you the golden standard of Christian leadership, and it sure isn't what you'll find in the world, then or by the way today. Now, it is required that those who have been given a trust— must prove, what's the last word? Say it loud together. What? Faithful. Now, if you look at what's happening in our leaders around the world today, does that sound like the leadership we're seeing globally today? Not even close. In other words, Paul is saying this, in a world of fake news, I have to be true. Paul says, oh, you want to understand I'm not just some dictator. Listen, I have to be faithful and trustworthy and loyal and right character and firmly actually believe the right things. And by the way, you're abandoning the things you've been taught and I have not. So yes, I have Jesus's backing. And yes, I need to say this without any arrogance. You need to get okay with that if you're a Christian. But, but that doesn't mean just I get to go off the deep end, Paul says. Oh, by the way, I know in Corinth, and it would be translated here, I know in Toronto that success in your mind, equals numbers. And success means the amount of followers. And success means excellence alone. No, none of those things are evil. But Paul says, I want to remind you of something. Oh, listen, please. Ears open. I remind you that actually faithfulness is what Jesus cares about, not fame. Faithfulness over fullness is what matters. And when Jesus comes back, what he's going to talk about is faithfulness, not how many people were in church on a Sunday morning. In other words, here's what Paul's saying to this church. Corinth is stronger in you, and you can't even see it. And actually, since we're having this really tough family moment, I'm just going to say this right now. I care very little if I'm judged by you or any human court. Indeed, I don't even judge myself. Can you imagine a pastor saying that? I don't care what you think about me. Hugs and kisses. What? He says, look. I don't care that you're judging me. Now, don't misread Paul, because a lot of people do. He's not being a jerk. He's not being a donkey. He's not being arrogant. There's no personal vendetta. He's not writing this flippantly. This isn't like a text message that he was going to send, and he waited 24 hours. No. This isn't like self-image issues. How dare you talk to me this way? Don't you know who I am? This is not a person who's psychologically marked by fear and low self-esteem, so every time someone gives them critical feedback, they freak out and and hurt them. No. No. Here's what Paul's saying. I am not, as a Christian leader, going to give in to your crazy popularity stuff. I am not going to actually let vanity hold the day because vanity and popularity burn on judgment day. Here's what he actually says. I actually believe something way more scary than you. I actually believe, Paul says, I'm going to be judged by Jesus. And since that's true, I actually don't care what you think. Whether I'm the best leader or the right leader or I'm not up to your standards or you like my preaching style because my life, Paul is writing to the ancient church, is so haunted by and so joyfully expectant that I am personally going to give an account to Jesus and you don't even come close to the conversation. Jesus is more terrifying and more consuming and more loving than you'll ever be. Actually, Jesus is holy love incarnate. He's God in flesh. He sees all, knows all. He's in every place, every space, every time, and he never forgets anything. Paul says, and you think you've got a right to judge me? He's way more terrifying than you. And then Paul is saying this, I'm not placing myself above you when I actually wrote that though we're saved and we're going to be blameless and we we actually, through Jesus, have guaranteed salvation, I'm not saying that I don't get judged just like you do. He says, oh, by the way, I want to remind you, I believe this probably more than you do. Remember what he said in 1 Corinthians 3.12? If anyone builds on this foundation, that's Jesus, using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, and straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day, that's when Jesus returns, will bring it into light, and it will be revealed with fire. And the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, the builder will receive reward. See, here's, here's what you got to catch in this really, really difficult passage. Paul actually believes this. He's not irresponsible. He's not hiding anything. He actually knows who's running his life. I'm aware he says what he's writing. Look, he says, hey, everyone. I'm aware of nothing right now in myself that I'm doing wrong against you. Actually, my conscience is clear. I have no moral or bad or negative understanding, and I'm really more concerned about what I'm gonna have to say to Jesus than I am to you. My conscience is clear, verse four, but that doesn't even make me innocent. Oh, it's Jesus who judges me. He's like, look, I got no hidden agenda. I'm not doing things wrong, I don't think. I actually think I'm above reproach but actually just because I think that doesn't matter. Actually, I might not be okay. And it doesn't even matter if I can't find fault with myself because actually in the end, Jesus is gonna have to tell me about me. My Lord, my master, Jesus, is gonna praise me or take me to task and you have nothing on him. I so take seriously the afterlife. I take so seriously the one that knows all that even if I think I'm a great leader and I'm leading well, I know the human heart is so screwed up and we can self-deceive all the time. Jesus is gonna have to tell me and you can't read my heart but he sure can. I think we all sitting in this room, all of you up in Port Perry, anyone listening online, hate being judged on one thing. Anyone want to say yes to that? When you hang out with someone 10 years later and you, the last time you saw there were 20 years later, you were 15 and you weren't the, you know, whatever, you were 15. And they still think of you as that 15-year-old like, but no, I've lived all this life. I'm so different. You know what we're saying, right, to our children these days because of the online reality. We're like, don't post stupid things. Don't post naked pictures of yourself, not just because of predators. Don't do all this stuff online. Why? Because when you try to get a job in 25 years from now, they are going to mind the internet to see who you are. This could actually damage your future employment if you are stupid now. And everyone's like, that's so unfair. I was stupid. I did one thing years ago. And Paul's coming along and he's saying, look, you've got to understand this. I actually... I'm not going to be judged by your little moment. Actually, I'm going to let the person judge me who will never forget anything and knows everything in context. Don't judge things before the appointed time, verse 5. Oh, you wait till Jesus comes. He's going to bring to light what is hidden in darkness. He's going to expose every motive of every heart. And at that time, each will receive praise from God. In other words, here's what Paul's saying as a Christian leader to a group of Christian people, as non Christians are coming in to see if Christianity is right. How messy. Would you stop judging me, please? Would you stop reading a verdict because actually the case is still going? Uh, The time for this is not even on the table yet. I'm called by Jesus. I am an apostle. I have his backing. I am the steward. I have the right to lead you and teach you. And by the way, if I'm messing up and you can't see it, Jesus is gonna see it and he's gonna deal with everything. Uh, By the way, for some of you who may not have background to the whole story, and you're like, man, this guy's a little bit of a, I don't know what. Let me just remind you of what the church was saying about Paul. If you read all of 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul is accused by this church of not being a good leader just because he didn't have enough followers. Paul was accused of not being a good leader because he was not a great speaker. Paul, though he was brilliant, could not, he was not a great orator. He was not polished and styled like others were. He was accused of being a flatterer He was accused of being incompetent and insincere. They even actually got in his case about how he dressed. He didn't dress to the Corinthian standard. Oh, my. And not only that, a lot of people didn't think he was a good enough leader because he didn't have enough, you know, weird stuff going on. He didn't heal enough people, not enough tongues, not enough prophecy, not enough power gifts. If you really were an epic leader for Jesus, you would do all these incredible, supernatural, charismatic things. And Paul says, well... Yeah, thanks for all that. But I'm here by Jesus. And though we're all in this together, and we're all rallying around Jesus, and we've all understood the foolishness of the cross, actually leadership is still in play. Leaders have to grow in humility. Yep. Love, absolutely. Open feedback, absolutely. Transparent, absolutely. And yet leaders still have to lead. And they have to say yes and no. And they have to say we go here and we're actually not going there. And and then he says, and by the way, I just want to say this one last time. There is a day coming when, when Jesus returns, everything's on the table. Let me just remind you about the nature of the God that we were singing to this morning. Let me remind all of us of the nature of the God that Paul fundamentally lives his life like he's going to give an accountability to. It's found in 1 Timothy 6.16, God who alone is immortal, who lives in unapproachable light, who no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Here's what Paul is saying. I am going to face the only creature in the universe who has never had a beginning or end. I am going to give an account to the one who lives in unapproachable light. And when I stand in his presence, his light is so blinding, it will burn through my being and I will have to be completely naked and exposed physically, emotionally, spiritually, etc. Paul says, look, I'm going to give an account, trust me, but you are not to be in that place. Now here's what Paul is not saying. What drives me crazy as a pastor is when I hear people say, well, the Bible says don't judge. Oh, you haven't read the Bible. Here's what the Bible teaches. Oh, you're allowed to judge all sorts of things based on God's word. If you read 1 Corinthians, Paul does all sorts of judging all the time. You not, we may not like it as Canadians, but it's biblical. Paul comes along and says, sexual immorality, it's wrong. Repent, that's judgment. He comes along and says, all this division and all this infighting, stop it, it's wrong. Inf- stop. He says, when you do this, this is wrong. He's not saying you can never judge anything. He's not even saying you can't confront a pastor. By the way, just so you know, in this church, we take this so seriously that we actually continually are working on systems to make leaders accountable because we don't fully even trust ourselves. Like Dave and I, you'll meet Dave as you're new. You're like, who's Dave? It's okay. He's the lead pastor. He's back in three weeks. You'll say hi to him. When Dave and I, we actually are accountable to a board and not just based on our performance and all of the strategic plans we've given, our character is actually evaluated by the board every year. It's the same with all of our pastors and leaders. They are actually actually called to the table based on their actions, how they speak, and also their planning. But Paul's saying, look, this is not what we're talking about here. Paul's saying, there's no hidden sin with me. I'm not being abusive. I'm not being a dictator. You just don't like the style of leader I am because your evaluation, the way you think leadership should look, the way you're looking through it is through Corinth, not heaven. In other words, here's what Paul is saying. Stop being a backseat driver. How many of you love backseat drivers? Raise your hand. Just love it. You're like, oh, I just love when I'm in the car and my best friend or supposed to like, go slower, go faster, turn here. Why aren't you listening? You're like, mm, love, joy, peace, patience, right? Like just, mm. you, you hate backseat driving. Why? Because you are trying to lead at that moment. It's like, uh, you know that I'm one of the best athletes ever. So I'm very aware of this. But it's when I, every once in a while, I'm at a party and there is a sports event being watched, which is not my cup of tea. And I see men who are not as fit as they used to be covered in ketchup chips, saying things like, I could do that. I'm like, shut up. No, you couldn't. I, I'm admitting it because I've never been one of you. You maybe could have done it. You can't ketchup chips. Their worst day is your not even best. You can No, I hate sports radio for that reason. Oh, I've read all the stats and blah, blah. Shut up. Who are you? Man, 65-year-old sitting on your internet. You, you can't hit a baseball. Shh. See, this is what Paul is saying. Stop actually doing that in the church. I am actually called to lead in this moment, not forever. And by the way, I am telling you that all praise is going to come from God and all motives are going to be revealed. Everything that is wrong is going to be burned away. And Paul is saying, look, it's not that you just shouldn't be judging you, judging me. I actually don't want your praise. Oh, please listen to this. I don't want your praise either. Your praise, you liking me isn't good enough, strong enough, or lasting enough. There's going to be one who actually is going to be stronger and better and more amazing. I'm going to sit with Jesus and talk to Jesus. See, let me say this this morning. There is going to be nothing more powerful and and more life-giving and and more unbelievable when you die and you look at Jesus in the eyes for the very first time. When your eyes lock into Jesus' eyes, and by the way, his eyes are fire. And when you don't look away, he's going to speak to you as a Christian and his words are going to be like thunder, overwhelming and comforting, and literally his words will rip through your being, and he is going to say, well done. When he says that to you, every single psychological issue you've ever had where you didn't have enough approval with mom or dad or fill in the blank, listen, at that moment, every counseling session you'd ever have will fade away because Jesus will literally heal you in that moment because he will say, my praise is enough. And Paul says, I don't want your judgment and I don't want your praise because you you can't heal me in my inner being, but Jesus can, and he's the one that ripples into eternity, and you don't. He's like, I don't want to do this. So he says, brothers and sisters, I've applied all of these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit. So you'd learn from us the meaning of the saying, don't go beyond what is written. Then you'll not be puffed up in being a follower of one of us over against another. Don't go beyond what is written. Ready? don't go beyond this. Don't go beyond this. This is the ultimate authority for faith, life, and practice. 500 years ago, Martin Luther stood up and said, there are many ways God speaks, but this is the ultimate one. This is the ultimate arbitrator. And he says, you know what? Now you know the grace of God. Now you know you don't have to earn your way to heaven. Now you know God the Father called you. Now you know the foolishness of the cross. Now live the Ten Commandments, not out of duty, but freedom. Live the Sermon on the Mount. Be formed by the scriptures, because in the end, you want the praise of the one who wrote them. And then he says, by the way, who makes you different than anyone else? What, what, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did not receive it, why do you boast as though you, as though you did not? He says, look, honestly, you're, you're really ungrateful. You're presumptuous because actually you're bragging and you're boasting and your judgment and your misaligning of praise actually shows you that you don't understand the gospel because people who've been marked by grace are gratitude-based. They're not self-promotion, self-made, or self-doing. Grace means humility, judgment, and boasting thinks you've already arrived. Have you really arrived? Have you really arrived? What is Jesus saying to us today? Well, Here's what shocked me when I finished writing this. And I'd like you all just to hold on for a few more minutes with me. What struck me about this passage is this, how much freedom there is being offered in this passage. You're like, freedom? That was like an intense counseling session and I'm depressed. No, no. Listen, there is so much freedom in this. Actually, here's my sense. It's been my growing sense all week that the Spirit of God was gonna come unbelievably close at this moment, right now, in Port Perry and later and actually offer freedom to whole groups of you. To all of us, actually. You're saying, well, John, freedom, help me see it. Okay, be free if you're a Christian and live like you're going to give an account to Jesus. Richard Leahy, one of the prominent psychologists of our day and anxiety specialist, has just written in the last five years that the average high school student lives at the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient did in 1950. Why? Why are we all exhausted because we're living our lives in front of a watching critical world that is social media driven you can't escape. We're living in a world in a time where we can't actually slow down and everyone is critical about everything. And not only that, the devil is accusing you and your own heart even condemns you. This is what Jesus' best friend wrote in 1 John 3.20. If our hearts even condemn us, we know greater God is greater than our hearts. See, social media shows us a world we can't have and we want or it's a blunt weapon used to publicly maim and kill people. And then everyone on earth now is an expert because of Google and Wikipedia. So much information, so little wisdom. And here's now what marks our culture. Fear, manipulation, and control. Everyone's tired. Everyone's judging all the time. Everyone's over, over, all the time. Everyone's on edge. So Jesus comes by his Holy Spirit and says, do you want to be free of all of that? You're like, impossible. He's like, no, nothing's impossible with me. How in the world could I be free of all the opinions of my own heart and the devil and also a critical world and critical parents and critical whatever? Fill in whatever your critical is. And Jesus says, oh, it's very simple. Live with the haunting and joyful truth that the one who lasts is going to actually have the final say. Live your life like you're going to give an account to me, Jesus says, who knows all, sees all, understands all... And never will misjudge. Now this should lead an average Christian to greater holiness because you actually believe you're going to give an account and greater greater freedom. See, here's the thing. On judgment day, your abuser isn't going to be there. On judgment day, your mother, if it is your mother who has actually said you've never been good enough, she's not going to be there. Your enemy, your best friend, all the people who like you lots, they're not going to be there. Here, here, listen. Jesus is going to be there. And Jesus is going to judge you. And Jesus is going to set you free. If you want to be free from the constant negativity and criticalness of our culture that is obsessed by killing now, then stop and say, the only voice that matters and the only one I will live for now from this moment forward will not be for my mom or my dad or my job or my boss or my enemies or my friends or my Twitter followers. I will live for Jesus because he is going to give me more than any of them could take away or give me. Freedom is offered when you become obsessive about one voice, Jesus. If you actually believe the afterlife is coming, you'll be free. If you don't believe it's coming, you will not be free because this is all you got. So if you want to be free this morning, say to Jesus, I want to be obsessive about your voice and no other. Here's the second thing. Leader, are you a leader here this morning? I want to remind you of what the Bible says God makes things grow. In his sovereign time, things small or large happened by his hand. Now, here at C4, we've been commissioned to reach 10,000 people. We're unashamed about it. But that's not the be-all or end-all, for example. Faithfulness is. Now, many of us, especially leaders sitting in the room, are under the constant need and tire to produce. Yet on Judgment Day, Paul says, faithfulness is going to be rewarded the most, not numbers. I remember when I was given the number 10,000 by the Holy Spirit, And I was like, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Is this the devil? Is it the butter chicken? Like, is it I'm young and I want a big kingdom? Like, what is it? And I was so afraid to talk about it, and then I brought it to staff, and then from staff to elders, and over a three- or four-year period, we fasted and prayed to make sure that that was not invention, but true, and it was. And right when we got the yes, as a young leader, immediately I fell into the sin of believing now I had to produce it. I must produce the 10,000 and this would keep me up at night and when numbers were going down and we were transitioning and Jesus once came close to me and said, I'm sorry, John, I think I make things grow. So actually your job is to be faithful and your job is to preach and your job is to pray for people and your job is to lead and your job is to make hard calls, but I am going to let this thing grow. See, here's what Jesus is doing. He's offering freedom today for many leaders sitting in this room, actually more than that. He's saying this, please listen faithfulness is what matters to me how am i faithful just say no to sin how how, how can i be faithful just love others how can i be faithful I, i'm going to walk with jesus our core values right in the sense of discipleship i'm going to make celebrating big uh, uh, priority i'm going to connect small i'm going to engage in mission and share the work faithfulness over the long haul matters better to lose face and better to lose status and lose influ- influence if it's not from god and it doesn't produce rest Better to be faithful than successful, if successfulness will burn on Judgment Day anyway. So to all of us, he comes and says, "If you want freedom, he says, let this idea that you give an account to Jesus change you." To all of you who are leaders or influencers, Jesus comes and says, "I've given you tasks, but I make things grow. And by the way, your faithfulness, when no one looking, actually matters the most. But here's the real moment. You're like, that's this, this isn't the real moment yet. Yeah, I know. Let leaders lead." Now, let me work this out. I'm sorry, I'm going over time, but I'm I'm just going to do it. (laughs) Leaders can never overestimate themselves. Leaders need to be respected as Jesus's designated authorities. Leaders have to be accountable. And I think we're seeing in our world how crazy unaccountable leadership can look. Leaders have to grow and model Jesus over time. Oh, by the remember, just would you remember this? We who are leaders are human beings too, and we're growing too over time. But Jesus in every generation says, I have made some, not many, a few stewards. So now in this moment, this is a holy moment, not a manipulative moment. Jesus is drawing close to speak, and I really ask you to lean in. Right now, Jesus' spirit is actually saying to some of you, you actually need to admit, you actually need to go home today out loud and say, there are servants at this church or other churches I don't like who I know Jesus has placed over this house. John, Dave, Matt, Joel, Chris, Lori, Mark, fill in a name. There are leaders in this church that are literally at this moment coming in your mind. I'm sure I'm in some of your heads. Hi. And Jesus is saying, in this season, they are my stewards. And you actually need to stop and you need to agree with heaven. Do you know why? Because you're not free. How do you come to church every single week, week in and week out, and enter fully into worship and give with generosity and submit to where the leadership are going if you actually will not say that person is actually situated by Jesus to lead this house in this moment? You have to literally go home and say it out loud. That leader, I know, whether I like it or not, is one of God's stewards for this moment. And then you'll be free because in submission there is freedom. Now, to a larger group of you, though, the Holy Spirit's going to come even closer. And he's going to say, don't run. See, some of you are panicking right now. Don't run. He says, I actually know your pain, and I know your confusion, and I know what Christian leaders have done to you when they were not faithful. They were not marked by Jesus. They were spiritually abusive to you. They were manipulative. They used you. They didn't care for you, and they were broken, too. And Jesus is coming at this moment and saying, My child, you have to actually give this to me also. Do you not know? Have you not heard from my word, not John's mouth, my word, Jesus says to you, that they're actually going to face me, me. In all my light and all my glory, they will not get away with what they have done. You hold this anger and this rightful vengeance almost in your hand, and your heart is afraid to let it go because if you let it go, you think they win they don't win. The day is coming when they will give an account just like you will. And here's the real moment. The Lord is saying to some of you very specifically, do you not know why I've brought you to C4? Do you not know why this very moment, this very time you've been brought to this church? Are you not seeing my hand is saying to you? Are you not seeing the stories of transformation, the baptisms, the generosity, the giving? My spirit is here. My spirit is moving. You even know these crazy plans that these leaders are telling you are actually from me. I have brought you to this church to let you see my hand again, but it is time for you to be free so you can lead again. It is time for you to be free so you can give your heart to the church again and trust again. It is time for you to be free so you can give your heart to Jesus' community again. It is time to be free so for the first time in your life or actually ever you will see a move of the Holy Spirit that you once experienced or have never experienced but you have to give me that painful moment where that leader failed you so you can enter back in again. See, here's the mark of this sermon and here's where I end and I'm going to lead us in a prayer now. Jesus, through this very difficult family moment in 1 Corinthians 3 and 4, draws close to us this morning and says, I want you to be free. Unity in churches will never work themselves out without these very interesting conversations. And if you're a seeker here today, I hope you're actually observing this carefully, that a church is willing to have these conversations. It should give you trust and hope that maybe, just maybe, we're not just smoking lights. Would you all get ready to respond? Would you stand? Would you stand up in Port Perry High School? Would you stand anywhere you are? And we're gonna just, we're gonna talk to Jesus just for a moment. And this will be worked out in connect groups and over time, I understand, but this is just first response. So let's just pray these things. Number one, Lord, this is just a very uh, holy moment. Just a very holy moment. Number one, I pray for myself as a human being a dad, 42, three kids, trying to live life well, and all my friends, that there would be this new understanding, a new freedom of how we live for Jesus' voice alone, that the judgment and praise of the world disappears. His does not. Lord, would you work this in us? And could you say amen to that? Yeah. Second of all, Lord, there are leaders among us who are faithful and love you, but are under the great, great burden of trying to produce something you have to make grow. If you're a leader, can you just pray, or you're an influencer, a mom, or dad, a grandparent, however you influence and lead, could you just pray, oh God, help me be faithful? For the next group of people, some of you need to say and go home and say, I have been rebellious. I have fought who God has installed for this moment. And you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry. And, you need, and you, I'm, I'm asking you to do this. Literally say the name of the person out loud. I now admit that person is a steward at C4 or in another church. And lastly, for some of you who have been terribly hurt, terribly um, confused, at this moment, you just need to say to Jesus, you literally, I would encourage you to take your hand in a fist and open it and say to Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to trust you with this hurt because you say they're not going to get away with it and they don't win. And then you need to say, Jesus, I want to be free so I can actually participate in what's really happening here. I want a new level of freedom. Lord, continue to work out real, deep freedom among us. We ask this in Jesus' name, who is kind and humble and loving and beautiful, terrifying and good. Lord, continue to do unique work among us. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.